Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rose irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Stephen Kreisick of the Lotto Jumbo team as well, and Adam Yates of Orica Green Edge, and Anthony Turgis, who had a little bit of a tumble as he headed in towards Scarborough, but stayed on his bike. Great Britain have won their first medal. It was Adam Peaty in a world record time, breaking his own world record. She punches the air and she crosses that blue finish line. The world champion of 12 months ago, who finished second here last time around, has won it. The Athletes' Village is not a place for fighting. I've never heard that ever in Olympic and Paralympic history. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast, covering the Games all the time, rather than just once every four years. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And as usual, in this episode, we look back and ahead and give coverage to some of the Olympic and Paralympic headlines and stars that you may have missed. And I should say that we're in the pub doing this again, aren't we? We're just by the River Thames because we're off to the House of Commons later, aren't we? I mean, that's nice, isn't it? A nice invite. Um, It's all because we made some radio series in 2020, 2021 and 2022 uh, that were paid for by the Audio Content Fund, which was a government initiative. Those series were broadcast on Heart and Capital and Smooth and Talk Sport, amongst other radio stations. And so we're off later to find out all about the success of the audio content fun and that's why we're in the pub having a a pre-house of commons drink and coming up in this episode it may not be an olympic year officially but it's all eyes on paris 2024 and we'll have the very latest and we'll have our news from the games and there's quite a lot to get through And we've got to do all of that whilst being in a pub. As ever, you can let us know what you think about. Get in touch any time. You can find us on Twitter. We're very active there, at anything but F. You can also message us on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find our posts there. Go to our shiny new website. That's anythingbutfooty.com. You can fill in the contact form, or you can drop us an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You can hear, I think that's the coffee machine. (laughs) I think we might need one in a moment. But we're also delighted 
in all things new to be part of the new Sports Social Podcast Network. It's a dedicated sports audio news and podcast network with the very best in sport podcasts from around the world and the UK. And we're delighted to be part of the team and we are spreading the Olympic and Paralympic story. Yeah, absolute privilege to be part of Sports Social. So we are back. Hopefully you enjoyed our new season of Great British Bosses. We hope you enjoyed our guests from behind the scenes of British Sports. Some tremendous tales, some great stories that we told there. But we are back together and we can't start anywhere else than that ongoing debate. It's the one we've been having for weeks, months and years about the inclusion of Russian and Belarus athletes at Paris 2024. Let's remind you where we're at. And frankly, not much has changed since our last episode that we did in December, uh, to be brutally honest. Yeah, so the IOC, Thomas Buck, they came out at the end of January with this statement. Number one, no athlete should be prevented from competing just because of their passport. And number two, a pathway for athletes' participation in competition under strict conditions should therefore be further explored. Which was basically, we want Russian and Belarusian athletes to compete at Paris 2024, but we will have strategic and certain things that they have to pass to do that. But we want to have that conversation. Well, the UK government held an emergency meeting days later with 30 other nations. Culture Secretary Lucy Fraser calling for Russia and Belarus to be banned, not neutrals. They don't want them competing as neutrals. They want them banned entirely. And they also called on sponsors to exert some influence. Global Athlete and other groups have also called for exactly the same thing. And this is a topic that came up actually in that last series of Great British Bosses. And on our 50th celebratory episode, we put it to the chair of UK Sport, Dame Catherine Granger, five times Olympic medalist, gold medal in London in 2012. And she told us on Great British Bosses that sports sports need to recognise the international outrage following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and act accordingly. I think we're going to see it ongoing between, between now and, and next summer in Paris. I think there'll be very split views again. And there's always an argument of, do you try and let, should the athletes be the ones to suffer? Um, Should the athletes be able to compete under a neutral flag? You know, we've seen that in the past, although the neutral flag has never felt particularly neutral because we will still see the Russian flag in stadiums. You know, I've seen it myself in stadiums. You won't have the Russian national anthem necessarily, but you will still know these are Russian athletes and the Russian athletes will often feel very proud of, of Russia. And we also know, that sport is used as a, a you know, a showcase of a, a force of success and pride in that country. So, you know, again, it feels very uncomfortable that a nation that is at war could still be celebrating sort of success on a global stage. Dame Catherine Granger talking to great British bosses from anything but footy. The European Athletics uh, group came out last week and backed the continued ban of Russia and Belarusian. Uh, Dombromir Karamurinov, the European Athletics president, said with the war in Ukraine having continued now for more than a year, the European Athletics Council wanted to show that we have not wavered in our position concerning the continued ban on Russian and Belarusian athletes, support personnel and other officials, not just from the competitions, but from all events and activities. Now, World Athletics are voting this week on it. So they've got their council meeting. They will be having that discussion. They'll also be saying whether Russia could come back because of the drugs ban from the 2015 McLaren report and after Sochi. But it's a huge week for Lord Coe as president of World Athletics and for this debate. 
And I think what Dame Catherine Granger told us, if you listen to the whole of that episode of Great British Bosses, this neutral athletes thing is a fudge. Um, because even though the athletes maybe don't get to hear their anthem, they don't get to wear the Russian kit or anything, they're still there as Russians or, or Belarusians. They still will use every opportunity they can to show that they are proud to be there as representatives of Russia. And we've seen it in the past. It doesn't really work. We, as broadcasters, as commentators on the television, Steve Cram and all the others, will refer to the Russians. <laughs> and they're not Russians. They're neutral athletes. But we will always see them. We will always consider them Russians as well. And I think some sort of authorities some governing bodies are now taking issue with this it's it's hard um for the likes of you and me as reporters to get away from something that we have known for all the time we've been working at this the russians are part of it and i don't think we can ever get to that point where we don't see them as russians we do see them as neutrals and i mentioned some of the you know governing bodies people like gb boxing for example they've boycotted the women's world championships last month over the future of the olympics and there's a whole bigger debate there about you know whether boxing will continue under the uh, current auspices to be an olympic sport but obviously russia and belarus their participation was the key thing in that now, the debate continues, and, and Thomas Bach, the president, is getting a lot of abuse on social media for it. And I think that is, from a Western point of view, and you look at what's going on, it seems quite clear-cut. But I thought what Dane Catherine Granger told us was quite an interesting story when she said she was flying to Beijing before they even knew what decision the Paralympics were going to make, while... Uh, Russia had literally just invaded Ukraine and when she got told and she said this to us when she got told that the Russians and Belarusians were banned she said oh you've made the right decision but the Paralympic Association turned around and said well not necessarily because that might be your view but that's not necessarily the view of the rest of the world and we know what's going on this week um, the Chinese president has gone to Russia this week and, and seen uh, Putin. Putin's been into Ukraine for the first time since, since the war started. And, you, you, and, and I think Russia uh, are really looking at this world. I mentioned about the world athletics this week. They're really looking at that. Um, and what they're looking at is potentially removing themselves from the European Federation. We heard from the European Athletic Council earlier. Also, we don't talk about football, but UEFA run the European football. They're looking at removing themselves from Europe, potentially going to Asia, who seem more accepting of the fact that Russian and Belarusian athletes could compete. And you mentioned two key countries there for the International Olympic Committee, Russia and China. And no matter what people outside of that organization will think of either of those two countries and the regimes that run those two countries, for the IOC, they have been essential to the running, uh, the successful running of Olympic Games in recent years and essential to more than just the IOC in terms of the events that they've stepped up to host. Um, you know, we saw a Winter Olympics in Beijing in 2022. We have discussed at length what the future is for a Winter Olympics. And you can't see beyond places like Beijing and Sochi, who built this kind of winter wonderland to host those games in, in 2014, wasn't it? You have to look at those countries and think that's why the IOC wants to, to keep them on the inside and don't want to unduly upset them because they are clearly looking at a point beyond this current situation that we're in 
the war in Ukraine at the moment and think that at some point that may well be resolved and we are going to need them because there are not other countries that are going to step up to host things like a Winter Olympics. Mm, absolutely. You said in the statement that the IOC earlier said a pathway. That's what that's what they're looking at. They're, they're not necessarily saying this is going to happen, but they really would like it to happen and they want to work out a way of doing it. And some of the messages I seem to be getting from the IOC and the uh, Olympic Association is could athletes sign something saying that we don't agree with what Russia are doing and we're removing ourselves? I, I wonder, Michael, there's been a slight change in the in the view that tennis players necessarily are neutral and some of them are neutral we saw uh, Azarenka win the uh, Australian Open in in January we know Wimbledon banned them last year but it seems to me that Wimbledon won't ban them this year I wonder what the government will have to say about that but it looks like the All England Club because of course they all lost their rankings they didn't get any rankings on it and they were fined the LTA and the All England Club a lot of money for not allowing these neutral athletes to compete so I wonder whether it just it, it, the world is changing or the opinion is changing slightly. And could these athletes remove themselves and sort of say, we don't support Putin? Listen, we've had the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you and I, you better than me, know how news cycles work and how quickly we are to move on to new things. And we moved on to Ukraine from COVID, for example. And there may well have been something else in the middle there that, you know, dominated the news. Partygate. Partygate. There may well, I didn't want to mention it, but as we go into the House of Commons later. But, you know, you know, we know how news cycles move on. And unfortunately for the people of Ukraine, the longer that this, this war, this conflict goes on, the less interesting it is going to become to the people that are there to tell the stories, the likes of you and I, the journalists that have been in Ukraine, the longer it goes on, the less interested the newsrooms around the world are going to be on it. And that plays into the hands then of the IOC. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that is the practical truth of what happens. As, as things go on and on and on, people become less interested in watching or listening to it. And that will play into the hands of the IOC because they'll think, it's kind of gone away. We're not now under that microscope that we were. And that means that we can, by the time Paris in 2024 comes around at the time of recording just over a year away, if that conflict is still going on, they'll be thinking to themselves, it's a two and a half year conflict now. Um, you know, we can let the neutral stroke Russian, stroke Belarusian athletes back in. And it was interesting. I think the US uh, Olympic Association, which is a strong Olympic Association, just as China and Russia are, you mentioned earlier, they came out and sort of said that they weren't necessarily opposed to neutral athletes. And I think that was quite a big statement, which is why I'm thinking whether it is beginning to change slightly. But allegedly, and I don't know the numbers of this, but half of Russian athletes are part of the army for, for Russia. So I think that's a huge problem uh, for, for the Olympic Association and the IOC moving forward is how do you remove these people if they're part of the army? How do you remove them and say they are perfectly neutral? And if you're an athlete lining up against someone, it's all very well for me and you to have this discussion. It's all very well for the IOC to have this discussion. But when athletes are lining up against athletes... Yeah, I mean, I do wonder sometimes when you're on the start line, are you looking across at the other competitors and thinking my nation is at war with your nation. And we've seen 
examples, haven't we, at Olympic Games and other world sporting events before where handshakes have happened. But then we've also seen examples when athletes from countries that are, you know, opposed to one another have snubbed one another in that kind of traditional pre-event greeting or whatever. So, yeah, I think that very much comes down to an individual. Are you there on the start line thinking I'm here to do my job and for the duration of this event, whether that is nine and a half to ten seconds or whether that's days and days of a boxing tournament do you think to yourself this is something that that is going to affect me or is this something that you know i can just put on hold right now to try and achieve what i've been working for and what i've been training for it's it's something i'm sure we're going to discuss again and again and again i'm sure Still to come, we'll look ahead to some of the big anything but footy sporting events of the year. First, though, our traditional news from the games and some of the other headlines that you may have missed in recent weeks. It's been a historic record in France for a sporting event because 3.25 million tickets have been sold so far for the Paris 2024 Olympics. That bodes very well, with less than 500 days to go now before the games. A new phase of registration for the draw for the sale of single tickets for the Olympic Games with the most prestigious sessions now available. We all remember that rush, of course, in 2012 (laughs) for trying to get hold of our tickets there. The rush for the tickets for the Paris 2024 games is on now. John, you've been lucky. You've come out in the ballot. Yeah, no, I was. So it was quite interesting because they allowed you a a time period. So you got got sent an email saying you can buy your tickets between this date and this date. It was about 48 hours. And you went on, logged on, and you kind of got your first choices. And so I said to my son, who's six years old, what do you want to see? Athletics, obviously. He wants to see the, the world's fastest man, the, fa- the world's fastest women, throwing, jumping, etc., etc. But then he said football. And I was like, do you know what podcast I do? And he was like, anything but footy. And, I was like, and he was like, no, I want to go and see football. And I think, again, we go through that whole anti-British. It's such a British mentality that football is not part of the Olympics, but it is, and it's really big. And so we're going to the quarterfinal of the women's uh, at the Parc de Prance in, in France next year. And so you've got your first choice. You've got athletics, which I think we see the 100 metres. It's a morning session because my son's young and I didn't want to be there till 10 o'clock at night or whatever. So morning session and then football and then handball. Because I'm massively, in, after our chat with Scottish handball, and you, of course, went in 2012, I was like, and, and it's the second biggest sport in Germany. It's an amazing stat. Yeah, and we have this very British view of the Olympic Games, don't we? That we want to watch cycling, we want to watch rowing, we want to watch equestrian, we want to watch track and field. I've had it on and I've covered the Olympic Games for for radio where people go, this is when it starts for me, the track and field. But actually, you know, think back to Rio. We went to the equivalent night of Super Saturday in Rio de Janeiro. Well, we could have taken all our friends, all of their friends, the members of our extended family, and probably all the people in this pub now, because it was empty. Yeah. It was, you know, there were thousands of seats. But we went to see some volleyball the following evening, for example, or we went to see some basketball, which doesn't get any coverage as far as the Olympics is concerned, really, in this country. And we went to see the football with Neymar playing at the Maracanã, packed every seat taken, people sitting on steps and everything else. Brazil will have a different outlet to what they want to watch at the Olympics, as will the United States, as will Australia, as will China, as will Russia, and every country will be different. Some countries will be showing Greco-Roman wrestling. We won't see much of that because it's it's not something that there's been you know much of a, a British interest in, but we need to look at the Olympics as a, a global event, and that goes back to that discussion we've had 
with Thomas Buck and the IOC, which is why they want to include athletes from across the globe and don't want to eliminate anyone. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what um, sports the French really get behind as well from a Paris point of view. We know they're very good at handball. Of course, they won the 2012 uh, handball gold medal, didn't they? Yeah, I saw them, I think, in the semi-final. Triathlon, for me, is going to be the, the one because the French triathletes have really come on and I, I really do think the Great Britain uh, against France mixed team triathlon is going to be some event in Paris. It's one that you know, I'm really looking forward to. There won't be an entente cordiale, <laughs> I don't think, between those two teams. Now, in a year's time, next spring, 2024, the Olympic torch relay will begin its journey through France, starting in Marseille, the host city of sailing and football for the uh, Olympics. And after being lit at the site of the ancient Olympic Games in Greece, Olympia, it'll then travel to Athens. And then from Athens, the Olympic flame will be carried to Marseille aboard the Belem, which is a majestic, I'm told, three-mast tall ship across the Med, to Marseille, slightly different from the Boeing 747 that flew it into uh, R&S Coldrose in Cornwall when I was there in 2012. A story you mentioned quite a lot with Ben Ainsley. <laughs> and, Beck- and David Beckham. And David Beckham, yeah. I remember... Cause and Sophie Rayworth. Um, <laughs> and Sophie Rayworth. I remember because we're sat in this, as I said, we're sat in this pub before this reception that we're going to by the River Thames. I remember seeing, well, I say seeing, I remember being in London for the um, Beijing torch relay in the run-up to the 2008 Games. And, and uh, the reason I stopped myself when I said seeing, because we didn't see it, because it was just surrounded this torch. Because when I saw it in the centre of London, it was Ellie Simmons w- was running, I think, with the torch from memory. Um, but you couldn't see Ellie and you couldn't see the torch because of the security. I was going to say, there was so much security because people kept trying to put it out. Yeah, I think um, one of the Blue Peter presenters, I think, actually got physically attacked um, by people. There was so many protests um, with that Beijing torch relay because and it just goes to show that we were discussing sport washing in 2008. And here we are in 2023. What's that? 15 years later. And we're still discussing sport washing. Now, whilst I think if the torch from France came around any parts of the UK, it would probably be broadly welcomed and people would come out and see it. You have to think back, and those of us that are old enough to remember it, it was not something that people wanted when it came to, to this country uh, back in back in 2008, as I said. So is it going to the surfing in Tahiti, the torch? Because if it is, I'm, I'm volunteering to... To potentially go and cover that? I thought you might. <laughs> well, that, that's what I put my name down um, <laughs> for the radio coverage. They said, what sport do you want to do? I mean, oh, surfing would be good. <laughs> Any um, track record in surfing, Michael? Not really. Um, but I have I've go- been to Corbel once. <laughs> I have Googled Tahiti and know where it is. Anyway, a record-breaking Paralympian has been appointed as the new chief executive of the British Paralympic Association. His name is Dave Clark. He'll succeed Mike Sharrock. Mike Sharrock steps down at the end of February after more than four years at the helm. Clark represented his country 144 times in blind football, scoring a record 128 goals in the process. He competed for Paralympics GB in China in 2008 in Beijing, also in London in 2012 at the Paralympic Games there, and also in Goldball back in Atlanta in 1996. He was also the penultimate torchbearer at the London 2012 opening ceremony. Quite an achievement. Uh, Archie Mattel will manufacture some of the key symbols of the Paris 2024 Games, the Olympic and Paralympic torches and cauldron, the large rings and the agitos as well, which is the Paralympic symbol, which will be installed in the host city 
in Paris. They're not building the orbit with the slide, though, that we've got in London 2012. We're holding on to that. And that slide was the idea of Baroness Tunney Gray Thompson, so she told us on a recent <laughs> episode of the London Legacy Development Corporation podcast. She said she uh, used to like sitting at the bottom of the slide and watching the people come down and... She said, well, I remember being sat at the bottom of the orbit back in the day and saying to someone, this would be a brilliant slide, great helter-skelter, and they seemingly took her up on the idea. So it's as much as her contribution to British sport has been immense, that has got to be one of the highlights, hasn't it, for Baroness Tanny Gray-Thompson. Elsewhere, the British Olympic Association have made a big announcement, which we'll come to next. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Stay with us. We have some more of the big events of the summer to come. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Anything But Footy and the British Olympic Association, the BOA, has today announced that Olympic champion Eve Muirhead will be Team GB's chef de mission for the 2024 Winter Youth Olympic Games. The British Olympic Association has also announced that Georgina Harland will be chef de mission for the Maribor 2023 Youth Olympic Festival. So that's the European Games and they take place in Slovenia in July. Team GB has booked more places in Paris already. Shona McIntosh won silver at the European Shooting Championships in Tallinn. She's also booked a place for Team GB at the Olympics. And on a good weekend for British shooting, Matt Coward-Holly also took silver at the Shotgun World Cup in Doha. Tokyo 2020 champion Ailey McIntyre, though, has announced she's retiring from Olympic sailing. In 2021, McIntyre fulfilled her lifelong dream of winning a gold medal at the delayed Tokyo Olympics, cementing her place in the sports history books because she matched the gold medal won by her father, Mike, 34 years prior at Seoul 1988. We wish Ailey all the best. Ailey's partner, of course, Hannah Mills, is part of the British Sail GP team. And Hannah, who gave birth to her baby Sienna relatively recently, is now back with the team. And they've just been in New Zealand as well and competing there as well, as Ben Ainsley is hopefully lining up another tilt at the Americas Cup. In other news from the Games, Chelsea Giles won her second career Grand Slam title in judo. She won gold on the opening day of the Tel Aviv Grand Slam, where she also won in 2021. Lucy Renshaw won bronze, and after 23 years in judo, Amy Livesey has announced her retirement from the sport. I think judo is going to be a sport to watch for Team GB in uh, 2024. I really do. Andrea Spendolini-Syriacs came out on top of the women's 10-metre platform final in the British National Diving Cup in Edinburgh. Jack Law won the 3-metre springboard gold and no sign of Tom Daly coming back yet, Michael. No, we thought we might know by now. In fact, we had been told that the decision was going to be made last September, so six months ago, but still at this point 
of time as we record he's this. He's doing a in, podcast. He's following yeah. in our footsteps. In my, First time ever. He, he's done a couple of other podcasts before. <laughs> um, yeah, no sign of him coming back at the moment. I think as every day passes by and we get closer to Paris, it seems more and more unlikely that that Tom will be there competing. I'm sure he'll be there in some capacity. Elsewhere, World and Paralympic champion Maisie Summers-Newton won World Series gold at the Paris Swimming World Series at Ponds Forge in Sheffield. She won the women's MC 200 metres individual medley with fellow British teammate Grace Harvey third. William Ellard won the men's MC 100 metres freestyle. And British Swimming have confirmed Drew Barrand as their new chief executive, their new CEO. He's currently commercial and sales director at global organisation Laureus. And British Women say he will provide strong strategic and business leadership to take the organisation forward. That's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of these governing bodies now are having to look at what they're doing commercially because the pot of money from, from government and UK sport is inevitably shrinking. And it has to. I mean, sport can't be immune to all the cuts that people are having to make with a cost of living crisis and energy bills going through the roof at the minute. So, you know, as we found out on that very first episode of Great British Bosses with Badminton England at the time and Adrian Christie, they have to look at alternative sources of income. And, you know, British swimming are doing that. They chose not to put their British championships on traditional terrestrial TV. They're YouTubing it, they're putting it on, they're streaming it themselves because they can monetize it better. And, and that's what organizations will do. And I'm sure that's what Drew will be tasked with amongst other things. And, you know, we are looking forward to, I always love this time of year, the <laughs> spring into the summer. I always think this is when sport takes off. I remember those grandstand montages at this time of year, which would have the boat race and the London Marathon and the US Masters Golf yeah, and yeah. the FA Cup semi-finals. On. So we're looking forward to some of those events. Four-time winner Ingrid Christensen returns to London as the official starter of the TCS London Marathon women's race. She will be joined by 1998 marathon winner Katarina McKinnon. The elite feel for 2020 three include Scotland's Eilish McColgan, double Olympic champion Sifa Hassan and world record holder Bridget Koskai as well. Mo Farah will be saying farewell to his fans in London. It will be his final competitive race. Yeah, April 23rd is the date of the London Marathon and you will be there and we are looking forward uh, very much to that as well. We're looking forward to the Tour de France uh, in July, of course, uh, as well. And the first ever Tour de France Femmes, I believe, is, is what it's called. Another week off the back of that where the women's, the world's greatest women uh, riders will be competing around the country as well. It's quite a big year for France. I know they've got the Olympics next year, but with the Tour de France, which I know is an annual thing, but then they've got the Rugby World Cup later this year as well, haven't they? And it, it, it's funny how, and we saw it with London, it goes in spells, doesn't it? You're like literally there every, every couple of years or every few months in the same place. Yeah, and I think with London, they had the, the couple of stages of the Tour de France, didn't they? They came down from Cambridge um, yeah. into London as well. And I think because cities need to test venues, they need to test some procedures, they need to test ticketing and security, and they need to test media things as well. I think that's why it happens like this, because once venues are kind of there and ready and they're dressed and they're all good to go, then why not utilise them? for some other things. So Tour de France will be interesting. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get 
a Tour de France for women. And, and you know, credit to Catherine Bertine and, and the team who have really sort of campaigned to get it. I know in a recent episode, a recent edition of Cycling Weekly, the magazine, they've been paying tribute to some of the, the female heroes of cycling and Catherine is, is amongst others there. So yeah, looking forward to that in the summer, always great. We'll be in Manchester for the British Athletics Championships on the 8th and 9th of July. It's back in Manchester, of course. Also, we're going to be on site for the anniversary games, which return to London. It's also going to be a Diamond League event on Sunday, the 23rd of July. Yeah, the only Diamond League in this country now. And I think Jack Bugner, the uh, UK Athletics chief exec, sort of saying it's unlikely we'll ever get another one back. We kind of gave it up and, and we're never going to likely to get that back. Now, you're going to be at the anniversary games. I'm going to be on the Eurostar at that point on the way to Paris for the one year to go before the Olympics, as you say, looking at how it's preparing i hope they cleared the rubbish away apparently it stinks at the moment in paris they have a, a, a bin strike at the moment uh so hopefully that will all be sorted out i remember before london 2012 we had to pay the rmt union the tube drivers more money just to not strike during the uh, the olympics they actually had to write that into their contract so no doubt that is what's happening in paris at the moment i'm going to be out there around wednesday the 26th of july with a year to go and it'll be interesting to hear, I think, across that weekend with a year to go from some of the sort of British athletes that will have serious ambitions. You'd hope to see the likes of Dina Asher-Smith and maybe Keely Hodgkinson and others there. Jasmine Sawyers after a terrific gold medal in the European Indoor. So it'll be interesting to get some of their views uh, from that anniversary games and those British championships ahead of that one year to go event. It's also going to be a big time for the northeast of England over June and July. The World Series, World Championship Series triathlon is moving from Leeds to Sunderland on the 29th and the 30th of July. There will be a para tri event in Swansea on the 15th of July. I mentioned the northeast. They're also going to have the uh, the beach rowing in Redcar, we think, on the 10th and 11th of June. And the National Cycling Road Race Championships also coming to Redcar, centre of the world. <laughs> on the uh, 21st to the 25th of June. That's going to be great for Redcar and Cleveland. And, you know, it's an area I know well on, on Teesside, North Yorkshire, and an area that will probably, if you were to wander around and ask people, would think they don't get many opportunities to showcase their, their part of the country. And it's, it's a great part of the country. I know the Tour de Yorkshire has been through those parts of before as well but to you know be able to show off that coastline and the scenery there with the rowing and the and the cycling would be great you mentioned the triathlon we've got the para triathlon series world series of course in swansea again it's first year they did it last year huge success july 15th uh, this summer for this year and then the world cycling championships if you've listened to our great british bosses series you'll know and we were staggered by this stat weren't we that it was bigger than the commonwealth games more countries more athletes going to 13 world championships with in the World Cycling Championships, all in Glasgow and around other parts of Scotland, including Fort William, Thursday, August 3rd to Sunday, August 13th. It's going to be 11 days of cycling. And I think what the phrase was, it's a festival of the bike. And if Trudy Limlade, who's the CEO, if her enthusiasm and the way she described the way that that event is going to unfold is anything to go by. Uh, that's just going to be terrific. I'm hoping that, like Glasgow in 2014 and the Commonwealth Games, they get a bit of the sunshine for it because that always, always helps. And, you know, we talk about Commonwealth Games in 2014. Obviously, last year, Birmingham hosted the 2022 Games. They've got another huge event, Birmingham, this year that's going a little bit under the radar. Not if you're a great British bosses um, listener because we've spoken to the organisers of the IBSA World Games. It's going to be centred in Edgebaston around the University 
University of Birmingham. So that essentially is uh, World Games for blind athletes and visually impaired athletes. And that's going to be in Brum between the 18th and the 27th of August. And we round off the summer, of course, with another World Athletics Championships. We saw one last year. We've got another one this year. The 2023 Championships in Budapest from Saturday the 19th of August to the 27th of August. Nine days of the best athletes in the world. We're expecting, Michael, that the team going won't be as big as we've seen in recent years from uh, Jack Buckner's recent statement. But I think what we've also seen from Jazz Sawyers, you mentioned her earlier, with that gold medal in the long jump in the indoor, breaking the British record, a seven-metre indoor leap, that actually, if your passion is there and your desire is there, and yes, you have to make a living, we understand that, but you don't necessarily need funding to achieve what you want to achieve. And I think that is something that all athletes moving forward need to be aware of. They're incredibly lucky that they are talented and that they can pull on the British shirt shirt and perform. And we will support them as much as we can because we do do that in this country massively. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically should get funding and you should automatically just go to championships. Yeah, it's a real debate and one that we've had many times. Achieving a place at the Olympics is a great achievement. Um, But going back to that point that I made about elite sport can't be immune to the shrinking pot of money means that we can't keep sending huge, huge teams. We have to start making some decisions. I think Jasmine Soyes is a really interesting one because, you know, she's made Olympic finals. She's been a Commonwealth Games medalist. So, you know, I think the gold medal at the European indoors and her reaction to it was fantastic. But it potentially has been on the cards. It's been coming. And that's why she has been at subsequent games. And also what I like about Jasmine and what I've said about athletes like Ailish McColgan and others in the past, and Keely Hodgkinson's another great, they do like to compete. And we like to see them and they like to compete, whether that's Diamond League, Commonwealth Games. It annoys me sometimes when athletes, and I know I'm not a coach, I'm not a sports scientist, I know that there's reasons why, but I I just find it baffling sometimes when an athlete maybe wouldn't go to a Commonwealth Games where there's a gold, a silver, a bronze medal up for grabs. Jasmine does, she goes and competes, she got her reward at those European. And before all of those, I've got to go and do the snooker (laughs) in Sheffield at the World Championships. Really looking forward to that. First time um, covering the World Snooker Championship. So, yeah. Will Ronnie be fit? This is the big question mark at the moment. It's, uh, uh, we're not quite sure at the moment. Now, as ever, you can get in touch at any time with us at Anything But F on Twitter or message us on Insta and Facebook. You can check out our brand spankingly new website. Someone said to me the other day, your website's excellent. I was like, thank you very much. It's all down to Darren. We, we big up Darren for putting it together. But we came up with the ideas. Uh, anythingbutfooty.com is the place to go. Or you can email us anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You've been listening to Anything But Footy. We've been recording in a pub we're now off to the house of commons for our audio content fun reception i've got the cheese have you got the wine sports social podcast network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.